a few things to let you know. We've got some moving parts and pieces this morning. Number one, our students are on their way back uh, from camp right now, and the goal is they're going to get here about 1130. If they do, they're going to come in, and we're going to let Eric share with us just for a few minutes about their week of camp before Keith and the worship team come up to lead us in worship through song. And so as Michael and I were talking about that piece of it, if they're late for some reason, I'll just keep teaching. Does that sound good? <laughs> You're probably afraid that I really would do that. Um, but if they're here at 1130, they're going to come sit on the front. We'll see them. If they're not, we'll start worship, and then we'll see if they get here. So that's one piece. Second thing is that you probably heard it on the announcement video, um, but for the next two Sundays after this, Pastor Michael is going to be preaching uh, the last two Sundays that he and his family are going to be here before they head to Oregon. We've got the family fun night scheduled uh, for that last Tuesday in June. And just want you to have plenty of time over the next few weeks to express your thanks and love and say goodbye. If for some reason you're going to be traveling, if you're going to be on vacation, that you would know what the schedule is going to be so you get plenty of time to see Pastor Michael um, and just tell him how much we love him and appreciate him. I'm one of those people that's going to be gone. Uh, we've had a family trip with both sets of grandparents and my brother and his wife and his kids. Um, so you can be praying for us if you want to. Um, but anyway, that's been scheduled for like a year, and so I'm not going to be here these last two Sundays uh, when Pastor Michael is going to be preaching. And so I did want to take just a minute, and this is dangerous for me, um, both because he'll get annoyed with me, um, and then also because it's probably going to be a little bit emotional, but you're used to me doing that when I talk about stuff like this. So, but I want to take just a minute to get to say just personally the things I'm not going to get to say here in a couple of weeks when you all get to it, uh, the family fun night. And that is that if I were going to say two things about Michael and just what he's meant in my life and been in my life uh, for the past four and a half years, the first thing that I would say is that Michael came into my life at a time and a whole lot of people wanted to get out of my life um, because my life was a mess and it was full of public sin and scandal and shame. And when most people wanted to distance themselves from that, there was a handful of people who wanted to jump into that with me and sit there with me and live out the gospel and love me uh, in a way that didn't make sense from a worldly perspective and only would make sense because of Jesus. And Michael was one of those handful of people who jumped into my life at a time when I was really broken and really needy and didn't have a lot to offer. Um, and the unique thing about Michael was that I didn't have a relationship with him before that. Most of the other people, you know, they were my friends and they they doubled down, like, when well, we're here for you and we're with you and we're going to walk through this with you. And Michael came out of nowhere and was the same way. Um, when there was, again, from an earthly perspective, there was nothing for him to gain from that. It cost him a lot and nothing for him to gain. And so the thing that I would say about Michael above everything else, just from my personal experience, is that Michael DeMarco has lived out the gospel toward me. And um, I can never say how grateful I am and how much I appreciate that because at that moment in my life, there were enough doubts whispering in my head just out of guilt and shame about 
is it really possible that God still loves me the same after everything I've done and everything I've blown up and all the consequences of my sin and everybody that's impacted? And it was already a struggle just to keep preaching the gospel to myself and believing it. And so then as I saw people that reacted the way that you would expect and wanted to distance themselves from me, it was easy to feel like maybe that's how God feels too. And that handful of people that were like, no, like we are here and we love you and nothing changes in our relationship and we are here with you and for you and we will sit in this mess with you. And Michael being one of the people who said that uh, as loudly as anybody, it fed my faith during that time that I could see in them the love of God. I could see in them the grace of God. And I knew that if they can love me this way, God loves me this way all the more. Um, and I believe the gospel more today because of them, that group of people, and because of Michael. And so I can't tell you the, the gratitude and, in a sense, the debt I feel to Michael for that. And then the second thing I would say about Michael is that for any of us that stand up to teach publicly, um, and I feel this a lot, haven't, haven't done this in my life, there's this danger and this trap of we can look really good and polished here, and we can present a certain persona that's really inconsistent then with who we are when we're not up here. Um, and what I would say about Michael is he certainly doesn't do that, but if anything, he does the opposite of that. Like the man that I've gotten to know off of this stage at lunches um, intentionally takes steps up here to make sure you see his flaws. <laughs> not to hide them, not to cover them up, not to make himself look better than he is, but to be humble and honest and, and vulnerable before you. And the man I've gotten to know offstage almost in a way is better than the guy that stands up here. Um, but how I said that the person, the man, Michael DeMarco, and his love for Jesus and the way that he's lived out the gospel has been even more powerful. And I mean that as the best compliment I could ever give him. Um, and I'm thankful for his friendship. I'm thankful for him just on a, a daily basis in my life and the conversations we've had at Firehouse Subs or the conversations we've had sitting over his office and um, just the times that he's texted just to check in when he's known things that were going on in my life. And, and then the final thing that I would say about that piece of it is that I know a lot of times when you're in a position like this, it's easy for there to be this pressure of, okay, now I've got to protect I've got to protect the organization. I've got to protect my position. I've got to think in a way that it's really driven by fear, but fear of what will go wrong if I take these chances or take these risks. And um, the way that Michael has lived out love in my life has reminded me of the verse in 1 John where John tells us that perfect love casts out or drives out all fear. Like I know that he's taken risks in loving me, I know that there's been cost for him uh, in conversations he's had to have in um, just in being willing to associate with my shame publicly. There's been public cost for him, and he's never been afraid of that. And he's never wanted to protect himself personally or protect his position. Uh, in fact, he's been 
trying to hand it off to me for months now. <laughs> and, um, and it's such a rare thing in the world. Like it's not natural. It's supernatural. It's not human and earthly. It's spiritual. And it has been a blessing and a joy and an encouragement. It has given me hope to watch him live that out and to experience that. And so I just, both just because I love him anyway, but because I'm not going to get to say anything in the next couple of weeks, and a lot of you all are probably going to get a chance at the family fun night, and because he's so publicly stood by me and, and lived out the gospel for me, I just wanted to publicly take a minute today to just tell you how thankful I am for Michael and how much I love Michael. Um, as I was thinking about it this morning, there's a section in the beginning of Philippians where Paul's writing to the Philippians and he's writing his prayer for them. And he says, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And I've always joked that I haven't known very many people that I could really say that to, like certainly not a whole church who's like, I thank my God every time I think about you. And in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. <laughs> it's like, I thank my God a lot of the times when I remember a lot of you. And, and usually I'm thankful when I think about you, but there are these things too. Um, but he goes on in that prayer. He says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Um, and that is my relationship with Michael, that, that he came into my life to live out the gospel and to help me keep believing at the gospel in the gospel at a time when I needed uh, that the most. And I do thank my God for him. Um, and we will keep praying for him. I, I will keep praying for him. I, I look forward to the times he's already talked about. I mean, I, I'll, I'd love to come back and have a relationship with friendship. And you know, all of us in staff meeting are like, once a month? Does that sound good? <laughs> um, but the end of that prayer is being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I believe that for Michael. I believe that for his family. I believe that for friendship because that is who God is. That is how he's working in his church. And I am truly beyond words thankful uh, to partner with Michael in the gospel. And so I'd like to take a minute right now for us to pray, I would just get to like to have the opportunity for us to have a moment of prayer for Michael and Haley and Addie. Um, and again, he's going to be preaching the next two Sundays, so you get to hear from him next week and the week after. But I'd like for us to pray for him and then pray as we're getting started in our time of studying the Bible together this morning. So will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time right now that we get to come together as your people to seek you together, to sit together at your feet and hear from you in your word. And we ask that you will teach us by your spirit from your word as only you can. And I thank you right now for Michael and the way that you have used him week after week for the past four and a half years to teach us during this time. Thank you for the ways that you have shown yourself to us so that we would know you better as Michael has taught from your word. I thank you for his friendship 
and the love and the grace that you have reinforced in my life through him. Thank you for being good to me in that way. And I pray right now for Michael and Haley and Addie as this time of transition comes to a head in their lives and the time for them to head to Oregon comes closer. I pray that they will sense your presence in a deep and rich and abiding way, that they will have the joy and the comfort of following you. And I pray that this time will, above all things, be about you, that they will know you more and trust you more, that they will see you more in this and you will show yourself to them. And I pray for the ways that you are already at work in their lives, and I thank you for that, but I pray for the ways that that you are going to work and for what's coming and, and for the reasons that only you know why you're calling them and moving them at this time. Father, I pray for you to pour out your spirit and work in a mighty way to build your church and make disciples through this family. And thank you for the ways that we have gotten to see it and live it out with them. And thank you that distance and location doesn't change that partnership, that your kingdom's not of this world and not bound to one location in this world. And so thank you for these relationships that you have created by the gospel, by faith in Jesus. We love them and we thank you for them and we pray for them right now for your grace and your blessing and your goodness and your power to be poured out in them and through them for your purposes. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, as we get started this morning in our time, we're primarily going to be, we're going to take three passages, Exodus 13, Numbers 9, and Acts 2. And the reason I've picked these three this morning, they're all three significant moments in the history of God's people, kind of initial moments of Exodus 13, God's people are just coming out of slavery and it's the beginning of the nation. So, you know, kind of first moment of the nation. Numbers 9, they've just finished the tabernacle, this massive traveling tent where the presence of God is going to dwell for them to worship God and offer sacrifices. So first moment with the tabernacle. And then Acts 2 is first day of the church when the Spirit comes on the early believers and Jesus starts to build his church like he's promised. So each of these kind of first moments. And I want to connect them and see um, just some some truths about God and some principles for us during a time of transition, uh, during a time for us to say, at these major markers along the way as God walks his people through this, what should we know about God and what does it look like for us to follow him at these times? As Michael and I talked about these few weeks of you know, me preaching a couple weeks, him preaching a couple weeks, we had both agreed, let's look at foundational truths for the church, what it looks like to be the church, what it looks like to really follow Jesus. And so last week, we focused and we took the Lord's Supper together and we really focused on the heart of the gospel, this work that God does for us himself, that he offers to himself in Jesus what he demands of us. He gives us what he requires of us. So that would be the foundation of the church. It is his work and what he does, what we need from him, he freely offers in Jesus. And so this week I want us to talk more about following God uh, on that foundation, and then Michael will take that the next couple of weeks and run with it. But as we got started, you know, each week we're walking through with this text approach, talk to God, that we would pray just like we just did and ask God 
to do a spiritual work that only he can do, that we would then come to the Bible to encounter God in his word and asking the question, what's God teaching us about himself? And then based on who he is, what's God teaching us about us? That we would then examine our hearts and then we would talk to God again and say, okay, if this is going to happen, whatever you're saying in my heart, whatever you're revealing in my heart, if that's going to be changed, purified, strengthened, you're going to have to do it. And then I want to pour that out to other people this week. What you're pouring into me, I want to pour out. And so I wanted to start in these two prayers. I mentioned them last week in Ephesians 1 and 3. And we're not going to like dig deeply into these. But I want you to see that this is the same way, this type of approach, this type of understanding of meeting God in the Bible is the same way that in the Bible itself that Paul is telling his churches, this is how you should come to know God. This is the approach. And so this is Ephesians 1, starting in verse 16. This is Paul praying for the church at Ephesus. He says, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking, that's the first thing here, I keep asking as this ongoing, there we go, not, not just a, hey, one-time thing, you prayed to trust Jesus and you're good to go now. But he's saying, I'm continually praying this for you as believers, as the church. Here's my ongoing prayer for you that God will do something for you, that he will give you so that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. In other words, my ongoing prayer for the church is that God will do something that only he can do, that he will pour out his Holy Spirit so that you will have wisdom and revelation from him so that, here's why I pray this, you may know him better. And so do you see already in this prayer the talk to God piece? Paul's saying, I'm continually asking God for this for you. This is why week after week we would come and say, we have to ask God to do this. This is his work. This is a spiritual work that only he can do. And then also the encounter God piece where he's saying, and what I'm praying is that he gives you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, not just so that you'll have more information, not just so that you'll know more answers, not just so you'll be a good church member, but so that you will know him better, that you would have a better understanding and knowledge of the truth about who God is. He goes on and says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In other words, that this spiritual work that God will do, it'll go deeper than your mind. It won't be less than your mind, but it'll be more than just your mind. And it'll go deeper than just changing your external behavior. It won't be less than behavior change, but it'll be more. It'll be deeper than all the way to the core of who you are in your heart that God would do this spiritual work by your spirit where he opens up spiritual eyes in your heart that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. In other words, that this entire eye-opening spiritually in your heart work of God would be so that you will know more about him. And that's why we come every week and we say, what does this teach us about God? Are we encountering God in his work? Because this is how the Spirit teaches. These are the type of things that the Spirit shows us. And then if we flip on over to chapter 3, he picks up his prayer for the Ephesians again. And so this time he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, so first of all, this has to come from him. This is why we would ask him to do it. He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And so again, you see this spiritual work that the spirit must do inside of you so that Christ may dwell 
in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp. So the power that God has given you by his spirit is for this purpose, to grasp, in other words, to know more of how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So you need the love of Jesus for you is so great that you need the very power of God himself if you're even gonna begin to understand how much Jesus loves you. How great of a verse and a prayer is that? But he's basically saying, when you come to the Bible, the love that Jesus has for you in the gospel is so great that humanly you can't comprehend it. Unless the Spirit of God shows up and does a spiritual work in your heart and mind and gives you the power to even be able to handle Jesus' love for you, you won't know it. And then he says, I'll pray for you to know this love, and this is the best part, that surpasses knowledge. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? Clearly, he's saying, you won't know this on your own because it surpasses knowledge. You will not get there just by studying and reading on your, you can memorize the whole Bible from a human perspective and this won't be unleashed in your life just in human power, just in human study, just in human words. No human teacher can do this for you. And there's two pieces to this. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? Number one, he's saying this is something that you've got to experience. You can know the facts of it, but do you know the reality of it? And again, notice that he says surpasses knowledge. He's not saying that this is less than knowing in your mind. This surpasses, it's more, it includes that you would know the facts, you would know the truth, yet you would know what the Bible says about it, but you would know it both in your heart, in your mind, and then also in your heart where you've experienced the love of Jesus in your life yourself because the Spirit is pouring it out in you as he lives in you and does a spiritual work that only he can do. That He would take the truths that you can know in your mind and he would breathe life into them spiritually. This is his prayer for the church, for believers. I keep asking this over and over and over that you would know God this way, that you would know the love of Jesus this way, that your life and your church would be grounded in and built on this foundation of Jesus loves you so much that only the Spirit can help you understand it. And the result then would be that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. God himself pouring himself into you with something that you can't get anywhere else. This great supernatural spiritual work of God in the gospel as he brings his people to life and brings his church to life by his own power and grace, resulting in to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us, again, still his work in us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. And the piece there at the end, this, you see this, that the purpose of God's work in you is not just God's glory in you and not just God's grace to you, but Paul has in mind this explosion of glory to God in the whole world, all generations, the whole church, all over the world. And that's why we always end with this piece of talk to God and to others. 
Because these things that God would do in you as you encounter him in his word and his spirit works in your heart and pours this supernatural power and supernatural love into you is to change you in such a way that now this is what flows out of you because this is who you are. This is who you're becoming. This is who he's making you by his own work in Jesus so that this flows out of you in the world to his glory so that he's seen and known and shared and declared with everybody that you encounter. This is who you are, so when your family encounters you, this is who they get, this is who they see. When your coworkers encounter you, this is who they get, this is who they see. When your neighbors encounter you, this is who they get. They get Jesus and Jesus and more Jesus because the love of Jesus that, that swallows up everything else in your life has filled you to the measure of all the fullness of God so that it has to flow out of you now because you can't contain it. And so I hope you see again just this week as we're starting that this idea of studying the Bible this way, it's not just an acronym. They're like, hey, that's helpful. Let's do it that way. And the acronym itself isn't what's important. The idea is, can we come to the Bible and can we submit to the Bible and sit under the authority of the Bible and say, how does the Bible itself tell us that we should study the Bible? What does the Bible itself tell us should be happening during these times? And when we see it in prayers like this in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3 for the church, oh, this is what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to tell the church, that this is what should be happening during a time like this. When we see that, we say, okay, so we'll submit to that. We will believe God. We'll trust that when God says that this is what should be happening, this is what should be happening. So what does that look like for us? Well, let's pray these kind of prayers and let's read the Bible this way. And let's read the Bible with this purpose that we would know him better. And then let's trust that he's the only one that can do this work in us and ask him to expose our hearts and work in our hearts and purify our hearts and then ask him to fill us with his own power and his spirit and his grace and his love that that's what the fullness of that would flow out of us into the world with everybody that he brings into our lives for his glory. Do you see that in those prayers? And so the goal week in and week out is just that we would say, that's why we would come together. That's why we would study the Bible together. And this should be central. The Bible should be central. The Spirit should be central. Jesus and his gospel and his love should be central. That's the foundation. And that's why even in the middle of this transition, whether it's Michael standing up here to teach or me standing up here to teach or anybody else that God brings up here in the weeks to come, that that is completely, in one sense, insignificant because the person standing here is not central. It's the Spirit of God and the Word of God doing the work of God in the people of God by the grace of God. That that's what, would matter, that that's what our church and our lives would be built on and that we would come together each week to learn this together, for, for this, this habit to be built into our lives together so that when you leave, and you study the Bible on your own, my prayer is that you would study the Bible this way every day, that you would encounter God personally this way every day. And then as God brings other people into your life, that you would now have the confidence to say, yeah, I, I can point other people to Jesus because this isn't about, this person's not central. And so you're not central when you're doing this with somebody else, that you would just simply say, I can open the Bible with somebody. And I can pray and I can say, God, will you teach us right now the way that only you can? I can't, but will you? And I can read the Bible with them and I can ask the question, 
So what's this teach us about God? Okay, if that's what God is telling us about himself, what's he saying to our hearts right now? Okay, let's pray and ask him to do that in us. Do you know the army of disciple-making force that can be unleashed if an entire church, an entire body of Christ, like us sitting in this room right now, were to say, God has given us his spirit and his power and his grace for this purpose, and we have everything we need. Let's go make him known. Everybody we encounter everywhere, this is the answer. And so I pray, I pray day after day and week after week that God would do this in me and that God would do this in you and that this is who we'll be as his people. And so today, as we're doing it together, if you're in Exodus 13, I'm going to read Exodus 13 and Numbers 9 together um, and we'll stop there for a few minutes and ask, what's this teach us about God? So just as you're listening, listen primarily for what does this teach us about God And then secondarily, what's he tell us about us? If this is who he is and we're supposed to be his people, what's this tell us about us and how's he speaking to our hearts? And then we'll connect that to Acts 2 at the end. So Exodus 13, the Israelites are just now coming out of slavery. God's just rescued them. Here's what it says. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud. And I just want to make sure you notice this. The presence of God, when he manifested for them here, he appeared as a pillar of cloud by day to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire. So daylight looks like a cloud, night looks like fire, but this is the presence of God leading his people to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Now, Numbers 9, they're in the wilderness now. They've built this tabernacle uh, that God instructed them, this traveling tent where they can worship God um, and offer sacrifices. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud, so here's still the presence of God, covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. And at evening, it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire, until morning. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out, and in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out, and at the command of the Lord they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle. And according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning. And when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or if it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days or a month, or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out, but when it lifted, they set out. 
at the command of the Lord, they camped, and at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. All right. What do you see about God in those two sections? What stands out to you? We'll do a few truths about God, and then I'll share with you a few things that I feel like God's been prompting me to share with you today, and then we'll connect it to Acts 2 as we wrap up. God is always with us. God is always with his people. You notice that multiple times that the cloud, the fire, never departed from the people. God is always with his people. What else? God leads his people. In that Exodus passage there, it wasn't just that he was always with them. Let's get right down here to it. Did not depart, right? always with them, from before, always in front of them, leading them, showing them where to go. That he leads and we follow, which may be a lot harder foundational principle for us to grasp individually and as the church than we sometimes want to admit. What else? Okay. God gave or gives his people rest, periods of rest. Also, God knows what we need. One of the ways it stood out to me, the same idea, was right here in verse 17 where he says, he doesn't lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. God's not delusional about how weak their faith is, right? Like God has not called the Israelites because like, oh, they are the strongest and the most faithful and the best nation. These are the people that will make the best people of God. He's like, no, I know. Like, I just parted the Red Sea for them and rescued them out of Egypt with 10 massive plagues. But if they see war, they'll give up and turn back. He knows how fickle you are. <laughs> Listen, when you think, oh, I can't, but I, you don't know who I, let me tell you why I can't go study the Bible with people. You don't know who I am. No, I got a pretty good idea. I've read the Bible and I know what the people of God always look like, but God knows who you are and he's never chosen anybody because they were so impressive. Like you've just qualified yourself all the more when you finally admit how unimpressive you are how unreliable you are, how unable you are, how incapable you are. That's who God chooses. He knows they would turn back. This is not about their faithfulness. This is about his faithfulness. This is not about their work for him. This is about his work for them. It's not about what they can do for him and offer to him. It's what he's doing for them and offering. He's going to make them his people. They're not going to make themselves that. All right. What else? 
Because I still got other stuff I want to say, so I got to be quiet now so that you all can talk now. What else stands out to you? Mm. God protects the people from themselves. Explain that just a smidge, what you mean. Great. Yeah, so ultimately, like we think, okay, God's rescuing them from Egypt. God's rescuing them from slavery. God's rescuing them from Pharaoh. All that's true. But then what we get right here and what Adam's saying, God's also rescuing them from themselves. Like, it's not just that Pharaoh will keep them from becoming this nation who's the people of God. It's not just that being slaves in Egypt. They themselves will keep themselves from becoming that because they won't follow God the way they should. And God rescues them from themselves and protects them from themselves because God is going to accomplish his purposes. Not just in spite of them, but like in the middle of who they are. That it will be seen all the more. His purpose is that it would be seen that it is him doing this. He is building this nation. And if you flip over to Deuteronomy, like just so you know that we're not just guessing this is the case in Exodus. If you flip over to Deuteronomy later today, read some of Moses' last sermon to them right before he dies. And over and over and over, he reminds them, he's like, hey, just so you know, this is not because you were more righteous. This is not because you were stronger. This is not because you were bigger. God didn't choose you for any of In fact, you have been more rebellious and more stubborn. You are weaker and smaller and more hopeless than any nation on earth. And that's why God chose you. Listen, this is great hope for us. Like if you feel like the things that we're talking about, how God would build his church is an impossible task for somebody like you or somebody like me, that's the perfect place to be. Because that's who God uses. That's what God does. Because then there's just a chance that when it happens, we won't think, well, that's because of, and then point to these things about us. We'll say, there was no way that never could have happened if God had not done it. Like what God has done in my life has to be because of him. He chooses in that way for that reason. What else? One more about God. If there's something else really standing out to you. Mm, yeah. Wow, we could say a thousand things right now. God appears differently. Depending on the situation was the first way you said it. God is, and I'll put this word in quotes because we could mean flexible. And what's funny is God is unchanging, right? He's the same now and forever and for always. But the fact that God's unchanging means that he is always everything that he's ever going to need to be. Does that make sense? Like right now in this moment, he's an infinite, eternal, endless God. And so all of him and every manifestation and expression of him, all of his characteristics, all of his his nature is always fully there all the time. And so then what what he manifests to us, what we can experience from moment to moment, it seems different. And it is because he's meeting our needs in that moment. And so with his people here, in the day in the desert... A cloud's really nice, right? To shield you from the sun, to protect you from the heat. And at night, when it gets super cold and dark, fire's really nice. 
And this is God in each situation being for his people what they need in that moment. And then the flexibility of, like, for him to be unchanging doesn't mean that he's static. It means that he's full and like he's so full in himself that he never has to change who he is to meet your needs in any moment. Your needs will change and the same God who can meet these needs because of who he is can meet these needs because of who he is, can meet these needs because of who he is. And he's not changing at all. He's just giving you a different piece of himself in that moment for you to know him better. And so, yeah, and, and we could keep going with, with just that thought, but yes, he does appear differently. And the good thing for us here is that a lot of times, if we're going to know more of who God is, like they learn something about God during the day that was different than what they learned about God at night. Or they knew a different part of God. And for us, if we have the personality type that wants to get stuck in the, the kind of the routine and God just, hey, this is what we do and this is how we do it. If your thought about coming out of the pandemic is, how soon can we just get back to what we've always done? Maybe that's not what God's doing with this. Maybe God wants you to know him more. Maybe God wants you to have a new piece of who he is. And maybe he's, I've shown you that. That was for then. Let me show you who I am right here for now. There's things I want to show you about myself that you don't know yet, and that's going to mean new things, new situations, new circumstances. One more. Do y'all want to? Throw out one more. Okay. God clearly leads his people. And we had two, so we're going to do two. Right, it was flexible. What were you going to say? Oh, you? Okay. Sorry. God clearly leads his people. God teaches us patience with his timing. And that's kind of really the piece for where we are as a church right now that felt so relevant to me. Here's a few of the thoughts that stood out to me. We've hit them, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time um, talking about it. I'm just going to write them out. God leads, we follow. Sometimes I feel like maybe I should just, like we could, every week I should come in, we should say this for like the next six months until we start to do it a little bit. But it is not us saying, hey God, here's our plans. Will you come along with us? It's God saying, here's where I'm taking my people. You follow me. This means we listen to him, we look to him. That he, he, has, he has clearly told us, as we walk through the Bible, he's clearly told us who the church is supposed to be, what it looks like to follow Jesus. He's spoken clearly. The question is, will we follow? Will we listen? The next thing that stood out to me was, God doesn't always, I'm not going to write this all out because we talked about it. He doesn't always take us on the most obvious route. Like he doesn't lead them to the land of the Philistines. Like, hey, let's just leave Egypt, go straight to the promised land, and you're done. I mean, this is this long circle of a really weird route that doesn't make sense to anybody, humanly speaking, but it's because God knows things we don't know. Right? He knew things about their circumstances they didn't know yet. They didn't know what they would encounter in the land of the Philistines that God knew. He also knew something about their hearts that they didn't know yet. He knew how they would respond to it and that they couldn't handle it. 
And so these times in your life when you feel like, you know, God, it seemed to me that you could get me from here to here in five days. And it's been five years. What are you doing? And God's saying, there's things about your heart that I'm still working on. I know that this is the best path for you because your heart can't handle this yet. And he's gracious and he's patient and he keeps, he's like, you need these five years with me because there's things you've got to learn about me during the day and at night. And I'm going to show myself to you over and over and over. Then these stood out to me. We follow God, not a pattern. And we follow God, not a plan. Did you notice in that section here in Numbers? And it says it, it amazes me how many times Moses repeats it in different words. But right here, sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle. Sometimes only from evening till morning. So you walk all day, it stops at night. Okay, we're going to set up camp for a while. The next morning, that, that cloud starts moving again. You're like, we got to pack all this back up again? Sometimes it continued for a day and a night. Whether it was two days or a month, or a longer time, whenever God moved, they moved. Here's the point that I, I want us to focus on right now. For a lot of us, we have this initial encounter with God, and he does things a certain way, and we're like, okay, I've got God figured. And we don't say this, but this is what we do. I've got God figured out now. Here's the way God works. You know, we, we start this ministry and God blesses it. It's like, okay, this is the pattern for ministry. This is how we're going to do things. We've got to always have this program done in this way. And, and, you know, as a matter of fact, hey, let's put this down in a book and tell other people to do this program this way. And let's hold conferences and train other people to do this program this way. Right? Or I've always, I've always encountered God in this way in church. This is what church has looked like. And when I was 14, I encountered God this way in church. And so church should always look like this. And God, I think so clearly here is saying that he didn't want his people to just get a pattern or a plan and then follow it. Like, okay, every, God moved for two days and then he stopped for a day and a half. And so from now on, we're gonna move for two days, stop for a day and a half. Move for two days, stop for a day and a half. Because then what happens? They never need to look at God again. Right? Their plan, their pattern has become their God. They're following that instead of following God. And so God's like, if I move for a day, you move for a day. And if I stop for a month, you stop for a month. And if next time I only stop for two days, you only stop for two days. Do you see what he's training them to do right here? He, every day you've got to wake up and look to him. Every day. that He may change directions tomorrow. And you may think, okay, so now this is where we're headed. And then the next day, he may change directions again. Because the point's not about the direction. The point is him. The point is that you would look to him every day, one day at a time, that you would come to this place of open hands where you say, I'm not making up my mind about how long I should stay here. And I'm not making up my mind about when I should go. And, and some of us, we really want to stay. Right? Just let me settle in and let me know this is where you want me. And don't move again, please. I like it this way. 
And then some of us, we're, we're restless and we always want to go. Don't ask me to stay here any longer. I'm bored here. Let's do something new, something new. Listen, we don't keep doing the same thing just for the sake of doing the same thing. And we don't do something new just for the sake of doing something new. We do the same thing if this is where God is because we want God. And we do something new when that's where God goes because we want God. And I know that's different. I know it's different than a two-year plan and a five-year plan and a 10-year plan. But it's what it looks like to follow God. One of the most significant things, since I got to start by talking about Michael today, one of the most significant things that I heard Michael say early on when, when we first started attending friendship, just in the middle of one sermon one day, he said, people ask, what's your church's vision? You know, we've got all those buzzwords now from corporate America, vision and mission and purpose. What's your church's vision? And he said, our church doesn't have a vision. God's vision includes our church. And I hope that hits you the way it hits me, because every time I think about it, I feel like there's so many layers. But the first one for me is this. This thing doesn't start with us, and it's not about us, and it's not defined by us. Like, who are we to say, this is our vision for what needs to happen? God has a vision that starts with him, that comes from him, that he has clearly led his people and he has shown us what it is. And the church, the church is part of his vision, right? For the whole world and for his glory in the spiritual realms. That's what Ephesians 3 tells us, that the church is part of God's vision for his glory in the spiritual realms. But it comes from him and it's defined by him and he gives it to us. And our job is to come and say, you tell us, you tell us today, how we live out your vision for your people, for your church today, and you tell us tomorrow, tomorrow. And he may say something to us today. Like, I want you to know this. He may say, hey, here for the next six months, this is what it looks like for you. Great. We know this next six months now because it comes from him. We also see in the book of Acts, you know, as Paul's falling, there's times where Paul thinks, okay, God's led me here. And then halfway, God stops him and sends him somewhere else, and interrupts him, and sends him somewhere else. And so even when we say, okay, today God has told us to set our face in this direction for the next six months, but every step along the way, he's got every right to interrupt if he wants to. Never will we start to love this plan, or this path, or this pattern more than we love him. Never will my comfort and security come from knowing, here's what I'm doing, and here's where I'm headed. My comfort and security will come from, here's who my God is, and he's always with me always before his people, never asking you to go somewhere that he hasn't gone himself. He goes before you. And he's saying, come and know me better. Follow me. I've got a hundred thousand things that I want to say, and it's just not going to happen this morning. <laughs> so we'll come back to it sometime. Are the students here yet? Pulling in. Awesome. So we're going to wrap up so we can hear from the students. I do want to just throw this out at you. If you find yourself saying about church a lot, I think blah, 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 you know, church should be like this, or I want blah, 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 this in a church, or I'm used to church being like this. Be really careful that you haven't made your vision and your thoughts and your plan and your pattern the center and the definition God comes in and he blows up, I think, and I want, and I'm used to. And he blows it up because there's no life in that. 
There's life in him. And that's got to die in you so you can really have him. And so Acts 2, as we wrap up right here, keep in mind this, this external symbol we've seen all throughout the Old Testament here, leading God's people, the, the fire and the cloud. And listen to what happens in Acts 2 when the church starts. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And before that gets confusing to you, just listen to the next part and you'll understand what's going on right here. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So you've got lots of different nations speaking lots of different languages and the Spirit comes and rests on these first believers in such a way that when they're talking about God, everybody's hearing in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Like, how can these Galileans speak all these different languages? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Like, you know, how can you hear English while I'm hearing Spanish from the same person? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. So we're not talking like just a couple languages here. That's the point. Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? There's some who doubt, others mocking, said they're filled with new wine. And then I wanted to wrap up later in Acts 2 right here with this. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, this was, this was their message. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Here's what I wanted us to see as we wrap up right here in Acts 2. That same fire, the presence of God that had led his people externally throughout the Old Testament, when he builds his church, comes and descends on each of them individually to now dwell into He fills them with his spirit. This is, this is the Old Testament imagery coming into the New Testament. It's the same, and yet it's different. It's more God still with his people, the way he's always been with his people, but now dwelling in his people by his spirit, descending on each one of them individually. So that now, please hear this right here. Think about what this means. They no longer have to come to the tabernacle to be in the presence of God. Right? It's not one location now. 
God just busted loose the whole earth for his people because wherever you go, he's with you. Like this, this, this is good to know him better, but this is not the end. This is not the goal. Not that his people would come here once a week and meet with him here. Like this is some sacred holy place. It's not. You're the sacred holy place. He lives in you. He lives in us. And he's saying, now you can go into the whole world and make disciples of all nations. And if it seems like an impossible task, how impossible would it be for these first believers to look at and be like, hey, none of them speak my language. And they all speak a different language from each other. This was impossible for them. And the Spirit of God does it through them. And that Spirit lives in you if you are a follower of Jesus. And he says, I want to make my church in the whole world. I want to build my church in the whole world. I want to build my church in your home, in your neighborhoods, at your workplace. And he's saying, I live in you for this purpose. When the Spirit comes to live in them, when the presence of God moves from being outside them to inside them, who do they start talking about? That's why I had to have that last part. Jesus, 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 Jesus. The Spirit comes and lives in you so that you will make Jesus known in the world. This is it. God leads his people clearly. God shows his people clearly. God tells his people clearly. Will we follow him? This Jesus who was crucified by God's own set purpose and foreknowledge, God chose the death of his son to make you and me his people. His son died so that he can live in us by his spirit. And my prayer for us is that we would follow him every day, one day at a time, open hands, trusting him, depending on him, going with him as he lives in us to make him known. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus would come off of our lips because the spirit of Jesus lives in us. We're going to wrap up right there for this morning. I'm going to pray for us, and then Eric's going to come up and share with us about the students. And uh, then we'll have a time of worship through songs. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to your people. And thank you for the glorious truth that you are here with us now and always because you dwell in us by your spirit. Father, open the eyes of our hearts today to grasp this truth, to know it and believe it and be transformed by it, to be unleashed, to live on mission with you in your world for the purpose of making Jesus known. Father, I pray that your church will explode. I pray for Bible study groups and house churches and community groups to erupt because you go with us and we don't have to come here to meet with you. We take you with us that other people can meet you in us and meet with you in your word. Father, do this. Make us this type of church. We are dependent on you to do it. We need you to do it. And we trust you to do it because of Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection. So it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.